the time when they were like, yeah, he was just our older brother, you know, and, and things like this, but they weren't believing him to be that, that savior, even though they grew up in the house with him, that they weren't seeing him as the Messiah who had come to rescue his people. But we know now in, um, in church history, looking at what we see here is that they did come to believe. And, and, and now here we're going to look at James, who became a leader in the church once he realized that his half-brother was more than just his half-brother, that this truly was the Savior who came to save us from our sins. And, and so it's always good to kind of get that context of who the author is. You know, that's what um, Pastor Jason, you know, we've been going through the other letters that Paul wrote, and, and the reason we have the context there is because we, we saw a lot of those events in Acts and where these letters fit into that. And so that context really helps us just to kind of put ourselves in where they were at in this. And so, okay, we see it was James, that that was the James that it was here, and his nickname was James the Just. That was the nickname he got because of his devotion to righteousness and zeal for obedience to God's word. And I think we see that. We see that that James, the book of James, is, is called the Proverbs of the New Testament, and I think for good reason. It's, it's a lot of practical, how do I live Christian life in a practical way? And that's what we see here is that James the Just... That was what he wanted to get across here. And there's even, in tradition, it says that his knees were calloused from how much time he spent in prayer. And, and that's another thing that, that's neat to know, that we can, we can start to kind of get a little character of who these people were, that, that he wasn't just, as he talks about in what we're going to look at today, that he wasn't just a hearer of the word, that he himself, as he was telling us to be doers of the word, he was also a doer of the word, that he was spending time living out these things that he was telling the church to live. And in this letter, we see here that he specifically wrote it to the persecuted Jews, that that's who his, his uh, main emphasis was there. But, but again, we see a lot of practical emphasis that we can get from this too. And so let's read, let's read James 1, and it'll be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along there or in your own Bible there. So James 1. James, a servant of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously, all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, receive the crown of life, 
which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who, intently, who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So I think it's good to look at that. That whole opening, opening part of his letter is just, again, just practical. I know, I think it's just a good place for not only people who have been believers a long time, but early believers, you know, once they get kind of a, a, a foundation of the gospel, like what a great book to look at just to understand, okay, now what does this look like going forward? This was, this was a book that God used just heavily and greatly in my own life that when I read it, it just helped just kind of fill in those gaps of like understanding what this means and, and, and how he used just when we looked at being quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, how even just those simple things like that as you're trying to live the Christian life, how, how beneficial that was for me to read that in the Word and just to not be like, oh, i got to be quick with some sort of snarky response, but making sure I'm listening and understanding where, where they're coming from and then looking to God for wisdom and speaking that out. And, and just all those practical things we get from this are just, just so helpful. And, and it's why my oldest son, his middle name is James, because just of, of just how God just used this book so greatly in those ways. And so, as I kind of stated, and we kind of see here that, that James, he initially wrote this letter for the Jewish Christians um, who were kind of scattered around, mostly due to persecution, and which is probably why we see quickly he goes into how they're going to be, how they're facing trials. Not going to be, but they are. They're dispersed. They're feeling that persecution. Um, and he tells them to respond with joy to that suffering. And that isn't our natural response. That's not how any of us typically react when just hard things and trials come into life. Our response isn't to go to joy, but that is what James is emphasizing here, is that um, 
if anyone dealing with a trial of, of any kind, that we want to respond with joy in that way. And, and like I said, I can attest for myself that, um, and I haven't even dealt with anything this bad, that joy is not one of the first places that we just default go to um, in those ways. And so, when, I, like, I guess like, I can't, I, I grew up a guy, and still am a guy, so I can't attest for the females, but when, 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 you're grow, when guys are growing up, at least this is how I was, and I would imagine it's for a lot of you, that, that you kind of at one point get in your head, and I don't know what it is, if it's just puberty, hormones, whatever you want to call it, that you have a tendency to get in your head as a guy that you can just, anything that's thrown at you, you're just ready to, it's not a big, you're going to be able to just wrestle it head on, no problem, this is what I'm here for, I'm a guy, let's do this, you know, and that's, that's just not typically how it ends up going. You, you think you can do that, and maybe sometimes you get lucky, <laughs> but it's just not, um, it, just, it just simply doesn't, it doesn't end well in those ways, and um, when you, if you want to take the example of looking in a mirror, I guess, you know, a lot of times when you're, when you're a guy feeling that, you have a tendency, when you look in the mirror, you just see yourself as awesome, um, that you think you're ready to just handle anything, and maybe some of that has to do with just physically growing, you know, just growing up, and all of a sudden, you're taller, and, and you're able to lift things you used to not be able to lift, and you're like, oh, I'm pretty awesome now, and you kind of get delusional, and you start thinking that your limits are limitless, that you don't have these limits. Um, I can, again, just think in my own life of many situations I was in where I was thinking I was capable of handling a situation. You go in um, without any just planning ahead or looking to God in those ways, and um, you just fail miserably. It just, it's just what happens, and you end up getting into a place where you kind of slither out, you kind of duck out, or you run out, depending on the situation here. But James here is talking about actual tough situations, not just some of those tough situations we think we get into our heads. He's talking about actual kind of tough situations with real consequences, what we're seeing here, in the trials that these Christians are facing. And he's pushing them to make the conscious decision to face these sufferings, these trials, with joy. Having joy in persecution only happens when you've developed that understanding of knowing that God is sovereign in all things and he's working out his purposes in these things. It's really the only way that we can really walk into that situation with this conscious understanding of having a push toward joy in that moment. And this, Paul even talks about this in Philippians 4.4. 4, it's a verse a lot of you probably know. Some of you, you just know it from songs. You memorize it when you were a kid. But it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It's Paul talking about, okay, rejoice always. You know, I can rejoice most of the time. You know, you think that way. Like, yeah, like today, I'm, it's, it's you know, rain stopped pretty nice out. I can rejoice today. Um, it's going all right. But rejoicing always takes on a whole other understanding, like, always? How do I do that always? 
And, and again, that's why it's just so helpful to have these practical helps in the Bible like, like James. Um, there is an emphasis that we see in, in James and in Paul, like I just brought up here, that we're able to always obey the command to rejoice, even when we're in the midst of struggles and things like that, because joy doesn't have to do with your circumstance being favorable. That's not where joy comes from. That's a difference I like to talk about in youth a lot, just the difference between being happy and actual joy. That sometimes happy, that's the one we should be using for like a favorable circumstance. I'm happy now. But joy is something that's a deeper-seated thing, that it doesn't have to do with your circumstance being favorable, but that joy in this context is resting in a truth in the gospel in that sense is of why um, we can see cases in the Bible of believers, followers of Christ, having joy in hard times. And it's not isolated. There's not just like, oh, here's our one example. But we have multiple examples um, of Christians having joy in hard situations. Um, Acts. We just talked about Acts. There's, there's plenty in Acts of hard situations where joy still came out of that. Um, where Paul. Paul's imprisoned, and he and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God while they were in prison. And it probably made them look crazy that here they are, they're, they're arrested, they're in prison. They don't even necessarily know if maybe they're going to die. And yet they're singing hymns to God. Um, now, as, as you know, not every hymn is a happy tune. But the fact that they were singing at all, even if it wasn't the most joyous song, that they were still singing and praising God in however that looked, while in this circumstance, speaks to a deeper-seated truth that they were resting in in their life, this gospel truth that brought a joy in not just, well, things are okay now. And so that's the thing. Our joy, this joy, this truth of the gospel comes from us looking ahead at what is to come. How Nehemiah What's it is, is the joy of the Lord is my strength. That because we're looking ahead at what God is, is, is bringing, what he's going to do, the fulfillment that's to come, that my strength is found in that joy. That the reason we can, that Paul and Silas could be in this situation and still be singing is because Paul points out in other places how, yeah, if I'm going to live, I'm going to live here. I'm going to live for Christ. But if I die, that's great too because I get to be with the Lord. And so it's, 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 it's an otherworldly kind of thinking in that way, this Christian walk in those ways, that we're strengthened through looking to Christ's work and having it as the center point of our lives. And that's why James can talk about having this, this, this joy in this, this faith that we gain in that, bring us to a point of, 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 of saying and meaning it that we're lacking in nothing. That you're not lacking in anything if you have this. If this is what you have, you're not lacking anything. You're, la- you're, you're full. 
You have the fullness of joy. And so he points out that this testing is to bring joy. And because of that, um, we see that, as he points out here too, it leads to perseverance. And perseverance leads to a mature Christian person who has a deeper and deepening relationship with Christ and, and, and leaning on God in those ways. And, and so that, all those things come together in that way. He's, he also um, goes into talking about wisdom. That's kind of where he goes from. So we have this, okay, you're, you're living in that joy. You have the fullness of joy in that. And so now it gets into living it wisely, having a wisdom that comes from God, that comes from above. And that's important, because James isn't talking about how the world sees wisdom as, as academic or, or kind of more of the traditional philosophical sort of way that wisdom can kind of come up in, in kind of the world, how the world sees it, but talking about a wisdom that comes from understanding God's word and then applying it, applying it in that way. And that's James even later in chapter 3, which we didn't read. Um, like I said, he clarifies it by calling it wisdom from above, a wisdom that comes from God, doing what is pleasing to God in those ways. And so, maybe you're kind of in the same boat as me, like when I, when I again, just go back and, and look at my own life in those ways. I can, I can think of, of, of points in my life where I, you didn't know what to do. You didn't know which way to go. There was a very distinct, distinct V in the road, and you're faced with that. That's, that's where you're at. And, and you, which direction do I go? It, it's, it, it's, we've, you can sometimes just feel like paralyzed and, and have an anxiousness and anxiety that builds in that uncertainty that comes with that. Now, um, maybe you're, you're, you're even more like me where some of those times at least you would take them to God and you'd ask for his guidance. You'd be like, God, help me in this situation. I don't know what to do here. I can't make heads or tails of this, of which way you're calling me to go. But then, you can think of other times, more times than maybe I would like to admit, or you would like to admit, that you don't go to God right away. You just kind of fall into a paralytic panic, and you fail in looking to God, firstly, to help in that. And you would just kind of make a choice, forgetting to put God first in that choice, and then through <laughs> anxiety and things like that, you just keep hoping that it was the right choice in those ways, and never firstly or solely look to God for help or comfort even in those situations. But then it gets tricky, because sometimes... We take these things to God, and we don't always feel like we get that definitive answer. Like, like you're, 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 you're looking to God, you're trying to rely on God, and it's, it's still hard because it's like, I don't feel like I got a definitive answer 
in those things. But, and maybe you can, you can attest to this too, that there still can be an anxiousness in that, in still not knowing, but it's not as heavy because you're still knowing God is a part of that. You're, you're still bringing that to God. You're still finding your comfort in God's good work and his goodness and grace in your life in those ways, that there's a comfort in that, where even though it's still a little uncharted, unknown territory, that you still are remembering to keep God at the center of that and, care, and allowing those cares to be given to him in those ways. And the Bible even in, encourages us and reminds us of, 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 of these in spots. Um, 1 Peter 5, telling us that we need to cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. You know, this is a, this is a verse that before that, Peter um, begins with humility being the key to this, that we need to start by having a humbleness that God's the one who's truly in charge, giving that to God, recognize that God is God, that he's the one who should be, and we are resting in his leadership in our lives, even as we are making decisions in one sense, in that way. That remembering that he has us, looking to those promises of Scripture, knowing that he has us, submit, submitting to him in those ways, and just lifting him up, just worshiping and praising him that, that you do have him to rely on in those, in those times. Pastor Jason has been, we've been going, we spent a few weeks looking at Romans as he's walking through these, these uh, letters of Paul. And it just kind of, this is where when I think about some of the, the things he's hit in Romans, you know, quickly as he talked about it being a flyover of Romans, because Romans is a very dense book, that some of those things he's been talking to us about in there become just so essential for us to remember and know to submit and rest in the gospel hope that leads us to a deepened faith in God's work and his promise to carry us through. That's the gist of that first part of Romans is how badly we need God's salvation and how badly we need that. And then from there, allowing it to deepen our faith. And then from there, just resting in that to carry us forward, even in these hard times. So, looking ahead, going further into James 1 here, we see um, we can go one step further in this and realize that James isn't just talking about um, this, this isn't just only for the hard moments in life that we see here, that we should um, be pursuing God's wisdom and God's guidance every day, from sunrise to sunset. You know, our, our, our entire day of every day should be in God, looking to God for wisdom and to God for guidance, not just in the trials and not just in the the tough, tough um, decision-making times in our life, but just our everyday default is that. And so, in James 3, 
he talks about this a little bit more in James 3.13. He talks about having wisdom in meekness, is how he puts it. We see um, that meekness isn't being used as a weakness. That's a fun rhyme. Weakness, meekness. Um, But meekness isn't being used as a weakness here, um, but a humble, having that humble humility and a caring spirit are um, good. It's good for us to be like that because in that we're resting on God, God to be the one carrying and not on our own strength. Because again, we go back to that our strength comes from having a joy in the Lord and his work in our lives. In Sunday school, in my youth Sunday school class over the weeks, and, I, and I've talked about a little bit in here, what we've been doing in there, um, but one of the big things that ends up coming a lot in that Sunday school we've been doing called um, Rejoicing in God's Good Design is how so many words in the culture we live in get kind of their definitions twisted or the way we, our perceptions toward what those words are and what those words mean end up um, causing us to see some of these things as weaknesses. You know, like I said, that's what happens with humility and meekness, how those aren't words that our culture necessarily goes to as signs of, a, of strong character. Being humble, being meek, I mean, those aren't, those aren't the strong words that people want to be known by in society today in those ways. But when we look at them in the biblical point of view, from the, from the traditional biblical point of view of these words, that we quickly see that without having a humility, that it, always, it ends up leading a lot of times to an arrogance, like an a, a inflated ego in those ways. And, and so even though our society a lot doesn't want to celebrate humbleness or humility in those ways, that nobody likes an arrogant person either. And yet that is, ends up being a lot of times the outcome when you throw out humility in that sense. Um, another thing that comes up a lot in, in our Sunday school is this idea of just celebrating ourself, like the celebration of self apart from God being in that picture. And, of course, that's going to lead to just more self-centeredness. That's drawing us away from God and away from the things of God, like having a humility and having a weakness. And so one person... This is just a, a quote I ran across, across talking about these things. Said, as arrogance and foolishness go together, so do humility and wisdom. So we see that arrogance is, is the way to a fool in this way, but that humility is what leads us to wisdom, godly wisdom, wisdom from above. And so... When we think about that, we think to ourselves for just a minute here and look at this. Would um, who would you rather talk to about something more personal or a struggle in your life? Would you rather talk to someone who leans into arrogance 
in that sense, or someone who shows humility and is looking for godly wisdom. It's, you know, that's, I think, pretty easily you know where you're going to fall, is that you want the things, when you talk to someone about struggles in your life, that especially as believers, we want to take that to someone who's going to look to God, look to God for wisdom, and, and pray with you in that sense, in those ways. And so, when we, look, when we look at fellow believers around us, you know, in, in the church setting here, or even ones that you just know in your life that don't even necessarily go to church here, that um, those are the ones you want to go to with, with those real things, not because we have it all figured out, but they're the ones who are looking in the right places, that are taking these things to God and looking to God's work and help in those situations, and praying for and with you is huge. And that's the thing. When James continues to talk about wisdom in James 3, he talks that wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so those are all, I mean, those are all the attributes that we want to have in that. And at the beginning of, uh, the beginning of James, he talks about how we're to ask God for wisdom and that God gives it generously, that those who ask him for wisdom, he gives to generously. And then here he states the attributes of that wisdom in this list form. We see that. And so what, what I found helpful is I was, was, I was kind of looking at, looking at those things um, is that I stretched them into kind of longer definitions to kind of help just more fully understand, like, what these things are. And so James is saying that wisdom from above is you're free from a quarreling attitude, from just always being ready to kind of quarrel with each other. You're thoughtful, and you're respectful of other people's feelings, and a willingness to listen to others. Having that attitude of, of, of hearing people. And to not be stingy, but to be charitable. And to not be someone who's deceiving or deceitful, but is fair. Just those practical attributes of the Christian life in that way. Is to, to seek these things and to look to those things and to have those be the forefront attributes of our lives in those ways. And that's where the fruits of the Spirit can come into play because, you know, sometimes when we listen, it can be sometimes hard to listen to people's viewpoints or, or even like where they're coming from where we do kind of want to jump in because it's either kind of bristling us or it's just like you're so ready to give them an answer that it's hard for us to just kind of stop and listen. But we see here that we should. We should listen and, um, and that hopefully that God can use that to, con- to continue that caring for those people going forward. And that's kind of what, what James kind of on to, to, to show here is that as we become these doers of the word, not just hearers, that 
a person who, who sows in this way, who, who plants seeds in this way, is someone whose harvest is righteousness. That, that these are great gifts that God gives us. That, that again, that humility and meekness, to not see those as, as the weaknesses that sometimes they can be treated, but understand that these are wonderful gifts that God gives us. And, and, um, and how these gifts, they start from and kind of come out of God just using trials or things in our life that cause these things to hopefully begin to build. God builds those and grows those and matures those more in our own life. And so James, he isn't mincing words here that, that following God is ever going to be the trendy or popular thing to do. That's, that's not what all this is leading to. Like, if you do this, it's going to, you know, everyone's going to love it. You're going to be popular. You know, that's, that's not what he's getting at at the end of the day with this is that, I mean, I'm guessing a lot of us know church history that, that being a follower of Jesus has never been the trendy popular thing to do. And, and even in times where you could maybe kind of see that in some ways it was, that there's a few points in history that it mostly felt that way because they were causing it to be that way through coercion and war. Like, and so not always the way that is beneficial toward people really knowing and living um, the gospel in that way. And so that's not what Jesus told us. That's not what the rest of the New Testament told us, that this is the trendy, popular thing in those ways. But we do see the growth of the church and the strengthening of the believers through this persecution that God many times uses these hard times to strengthen the ones who are already believers and also cause others to see the truth in the midst of that. That sometimes it's as simple as, as, as someone who, who doesn't believe just seeing that these people are, are holding true to something to the death and just them wrestling with how could that person be that way and, and so we see how God has used just those so mightily, even still today in different parts of the world, in more and more people coming to faith that, you know, a lot of times when you read like the missionary reports and, and look at kind of just the big picture of things, that you see that a lot of times the biggest growth of, of Christians is happening in places where it's harder to be a Christian which seems backwards, but that's how God works. That's how God works in these ways. Um, and so what the church leaders were doing here in, this, in these letters in the, old, in, in, in the New Testament here of what they were giving to the churches and, and now us, the present-day churches, they were helping people to find a freedom that has nothing to do with your right-now problems, the problems of the moment, but telling them the gospel and, and making sure that that, above all things, is the foundation of everything going forward. How there is, going back to, to the simplest explanation in some cases, how there's this one, there's one creator God, and he's calling his children back home to the place that they are meant to be. And then how the good news in that is that 
We couldn't do that on our own. That was something we were going to fail at. We were never going to be able to get back to God on our own. And that God sent his son. That his, he sent his son and his son came willingly to be that sacrifice we needed. That God showed love in sending his own son and his son showed love in being the one who gave his life to live that perfect life, to be what we couldn't be to save us from ourselves. That simple truth of the gospel, of us needing rescue and God sending the rescuer, that's the beginning of what changes everything for people still. God opening eyes and causing people to begin to live in joy, to live in a real joy despite current circumstances and then to move forward as James is teaching here of living in humility, seeking wisdom from above and knowing that we have a, have a heavenly father wants to give generously that he cares for us and how that starts with the fact that he gave us eternal life through his son, that he brought that to us. And so, um, as the worship team comes forward to, to lead us in our closing song, um, that I want to go back to something in James, in James 1 that, that he brings up there, that it's those types of things, those types of hard moments that end up hardening our faith and producing that perseverance so that we can be humble servants that are lacking in nothing, as James points out here. And so, today I hope that when you read um, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life with which God has promised to those who love him. That when you read verses like that, that you are truly trusting and know that God will carry you, will carry you, and that, that you have the fullness of your joy in what his son has done in those things. And that we do truly become doers of the word and not just hearers of the word, as he points out here. And that um, we're people whose, whose fruit, the fruit that comes out of that is righteousness that is found in our spiritual peace, in the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. So please stand as, as, as the worship team closes us in song. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
close by <clears throat> reading from 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.